you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. I'm ready for a bleed, my brain bleed. My brain bleed. I don't think it's ever stopped bleeding. It's been bleeding for a long time these days. Welcome to the show, my friends. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to refer to the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Say, have you subscribed to the Chris Voss Show? You can go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, uh, Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. See everything reading and reviewing over there. All of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all those crazy places those kids are playing these days you can check that out as well also we we're going to be giving away some uh really cool stuff today or this month actually the month of june 2022 if you're watching this 10 years from now you'll be like well that doesn't help me now we're going to be giving some extra.com wallets away these things are pretty cool they're uh specialized wallets that are really nice and they even have a thing where you can just anytime you want to pop out your cards you can just go like that Woo! see now you got to go watch that on youtube what's also cool is it comes with a tracker what do we do with the tracker? The tracker's around here somewhere. Because of the tracker, and it works just like one of those Apple tracker things, only you can use this with your Android. So there's that. We're going to give away two of these babies this uh, later this month. So go to thechrisfossshow.com for just giveaway, and you can see the giveaway that we're doing on that. And uh, if, you know, we're not doing that this month, then you can go see whatever we're giving away on any given month. So that'll be giving away in the month of June. Enter to win that as well, and we'll give those two away. Today, we have an amazing gentleman on the show. He's an author, a doctor, and a chef. What I like to call the trifecta of glory and food and, you know, whatever. I mean, he can fix stuff that's broken on me. He can feed me. And and uh, did I get all three? Where am I missing? I'm missing a third one. Anyway, <laughs> jokes aside, Michael <laughs> Fenster, MD, is one of less than 20 physicians worldwide who holds both a culinary and medical degrees. He is the only interventional cardiologist and professional chef to do so. He is also the only cardiologist with joint academic appointments in both the medical and culinary arts. He serves as faculty at the University of Montana College of Health and in the Missoula College Culinary Arts Program of the Department of Business Technology. He serves as an adjunct professor of medicine at the Kansas Health Science Center. Welcome to the show, Chef Dr. Mike. How are you? Do a great, Chris. Thanks, mate. Uh, appreciate uh, you having me here. And and the one other thing was that I'm also a professor of culinary medicine, so we can feed your brain as well. Oh, there we go. What's left of it that isn't bleeding? My brain bleed. There you go. I can feed the brain. Maybe maybe I'll stop the brain bleed. So give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs. Uh, sure. www.chefdrmike.com. So that's chefdrmike.com. There you go. So what? give us a little rundown. How did you become or why did you become Chef Dr. Mike? Like, did, did you become a chef first? Did you become a doctor first? How, how the hell did you get doing all this? Well, my training was actually that I cooked professionally first. So the the pathway was sort of, you know, I, I'm old as like Methuselah could be my middle name. So like I grew up way before the Internet and before celebrity chefs and we moved around a lot. So I was like always the new kid on the block. But like way before boy bands were cool. And boy bands are cool? 
They were they were at one time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, new kids on the block, right? I've lost all two of my new kids on the block uh, <laughs> uh, listeners. And and so you know, as a the new kid in school, really coming home, the kitchen became a bit of a sanctuary for me. Mm. You know, that was a place I come. My mom was really a great home cook. She was a jewel of child, the galloping gourmet, all that. So every time I came home from school, she'd be in the kitchen fixing something and I'd hop in and, you know, start fixing stuff with her. And, and it became a bit of a sanctuary. And so when I went off to college and, and had to work to help pay for college, it was real natural to go into the food industry. Mm-hmm. It given, you know, what I thought then was really extensive and, you know, formidable culinary credentials. You know, I walked in and I was like, okay, I'm here to be your chef. And they said, we have a dishwasher job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they, and to their credit, they said, if you're willing to be a dishwasher, as soon as a, a job opens up on the line, which was only like a short order cook, uh-huh. uh, they said, you know, we'll move you up there. And so I worked six months as a dishwasher. Wow. Got a break on the line. And from there, went to another restaurant uh, where somebody took me under their wing and kind of worked my way up to what today would be an executive chef. Hmm. And so I cooked professionally. I was running the back of house before I left college. And when I finished college, I went off to medical school, did the, the whole medical thing, became an interventional cardiologist, still a cook, owned a restaurant, things like that. So I always kept this love of food, you know, my entire life. Mm-hmm. And one day, you know, life kind of caught up to me as it does for a lot of people, right? I, I knew better having grown up and been in the kitchen and what real food was about, but I got busy, you know, man, I'm right. You know, um, I'm an intern, I'm a resident, I'm working at these incredible, insane hours. And I, I went to see another physician because I was getting married and we were going overseas and I had an ingrown toenail. And I said, oh. well, I don't want to be overseas because, you know, I'll be out of the U.S. medical system and who, who, who knows what will happen to me over there. And, and so I go in to see, see him and he comes out, I'm a new patient. So they take x-rays and all this stuff. And he comes in and he pulls up my chart and he looks at it. He goes, oh, I'll be right back. Like, okay, whatever. And, and this goes on like three or four times. And finally he comes in the door and he's like, can I just ask you something? I was like, please, I've been here like 20 minutes, you know, sitting in this room. And he's like. It says here you're in for, you're here for an ingrown toenail. I was like, yeah. He's like, how are you even walking? And he's like, don't your feet hurt? And I was like, dude, my feet hurt all the time, but you just get up and do it, right? That's yeah. like, and long story short, he said, I needed not one, but two joint replacements. Wow. And the first one should have been done about five years ago. Wow. And so the first thing I did as a medical professional was get the hell out of there and get a second opinion. Yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, the second verse was the same as the first. And, wow. and, and so I was like, well, you know, what can I do? I knew, you know, my diet had gone to, you know, you, I, I stopped at, I, I did my training at the home of Krispy Kreme in Winston, oh, North Carolina. Yeah. So it was like, you know, on your way in, the red light was flashing. It's a jug of coffee. It's those melt in your mouth. Krispy Kreme, oh, you know, man. we grab what you can that the drug reps were bringing, which was just fast food, you know, there. Yeah. Um, I said, well, I, I know I can, you know, change my diet and that's related to inflammation. I, I know that from all the stuff that I read and, and I actually did get a debridement surgery. So they said, well, we'll clean out the joint, but like, dude, you're going to be back here in three years and need another surgery. I was like, let's just do that for now. Thank you so much. And, and Chris, that was over 20 years ago. Wow. And I still haven't had the surgeon. Now, 
I can't go, you know, jog three miles on the side of the road like I used to, mm-hmm. but I live in Montana and I can hike, you know, the hills of Montana for eight hours and walk oh. around. So I'm, wow. I'm pretty happy with, with where I'm and that. And that was all about, you know, changing lifestyle for me, predominantly changing my diet. And that really led me to develop and get involved in what today we call culinary medicine. Wow. Now I'm looking over your site and I mean, you do a lot of things. It looks like you've written what about four books. Is that correct? Books, yeah. Okay. And uh, give us a rundown on the books if you would. Well, sure. The The first one was kind of a little collection of vignettes that's eating well, living better. There's has a couple recipes in there, which quite honestly, based on the data, since that was probably written, maybe I guess about 10 years ago or so, maybe actually longer, I think would be updated. Then there's Ancient Eats, which is kind of one of my favorite. It was my foray into a novel. So for foodies out there, we have somebody take you on a historical food adventure through classical Greece, which is the original Mediterranean diet. And that character is based on a historical character called Archistratus, who I modeled after Tony Bourdain uh, to take you on a on a culinary tour. Oh, that's uh, cool. And then as a little contrast, we look at the Viking diet. And the idea behind it really, and this is actually part of culinary medicine, is when we look at what we call traditional or historical diets today, mm-hmm. uh, we often think that we eat so much better, we're so much smarter, but really because they were eating pretty well-balanced diets based on natural foods that it, in many ways is much more healthful than the diets we have today. Because you don't come up with philosophy, you don't conquer, you know, the known world, you know, if you're, if you're malnourished, if you're on a yeah. diet, if you're a fat, overweight American. So, you know, there's something to the way that these folks ate. And that's what Ancient Eats explores. And Fallacy of the Calorie is exactly that. We look at why focusing on the calorie and nutrients is, is sort of an outdated idea in the world mm. we live in. And Food Shaman takes that a little bit further and builds on that and, and starts to incorporate these other important aspects of our relationship to food, which is how we eat, with whom we eat, when we eat, where we eat, things like that. Yeah. Excuse me. Those are all really important. So you've got the books and then you, you have online courses. Tell us about some of those. Yeah. Those are actually through the University of Montana. So we teach it. What I teach is a graduate level. It's a 400 level three graduate course at the College of Hell. And a lot of folks really, you know, want to do it, but they don't want to enroll obviously in college. They just want to take that one course. So we work with the university and their online program, and we developed an online version of it. So it's the same material, a slightly different format. So you can just do it at your own pace. And, you know, you could do it in three, four or five weeks if you want. You could do it at three, four or five years if you want. But when you finish, you actually get a micro accreditation or a level one certificate certification from the University of Montana in culinary medicine. So it's, it's, it's rigorous, but it's constantly being updated with new information. And we're really very, very happy that we can offer that to the general public. That just came out about, I think it'll be two years ago next month, next month. Oh, wow. And then you also have, what is culinary medicine? What, what is the definition of that? Well, you know, at, at the university and folks are going to say, we have a very specific definition that's that, you know, in, in the vein of food is a bit of a word salad. And we have to do that, you know, for academics. Yeah, but the long and the short of it is, it's it's pretty simple. It's about your food experience. It's mm-hmm. about your relationship to food. And so 
that goes way beyond just nutrition, which is really the study of how an organism uses food in terms of biological and physiological processes to stay alive. And, you know, the, what I'd equate is nutrition is kind of like looking at sex from a biological reproductive imperative. Yes, that's part of it. But in the human experience, right, it's it's much more complicated that, that, than that. And it plays such a much uh, larger role in our lives, you know, than, than that particular aspect. And so culinary medicine is like that. We we look at everything, you know, from how the food is grown. Is it monocrop, industrial agriculture? Because that is one aspect of the food that ends up affecting our health. How is yeah. it produced? Is it ultra processed? Turns out that's huge. And, and yeah. many people don't even know, you know, that ultra processed foods have a specific definition and are specifically correlated to disease way beyond just categories like red meat and things like that. And then, like I said, we looked at, at all the other aspects of, of how we eat with, with whom we eat, where we eat, when we, we eat, et cetera. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it's, I've learned when I lost weight and uh, started really looking at my food and reading ingredients, man, I learned so much. And I was just like, wow, I, I can't believe the crap that's being fed to me and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I mean, for a long time, I was, I was eating just the worst stuff. And uh, of course, I was going to Taco Bell and everything and, and that stuff. And I'm not even sure there's any, you know, we have so many foods that, really have almost zero to no nutrients in them as well. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, is what we really look at first, like you said, where culinary medicine starts, we look at all these things, but it starts with what you put on your plate. Like, yeah. plate. and there's really, you know, 50, 75 years ago, we didn't really look at something called the food matrix because food was pretty much the way nature packaged it. And then we, we, process it, um, when we cook it, when we ferment it, all those sorts of things, when we chew it, those are forms of food processing. Yeah. But then something happened after World War II and we began to ultra process our food. And the reasons that that is different is that we destroy what's called the food matrix. Oh. And the way you can think about it, like nutrients, like if you were thinking of nutrients as something that you ordered from Amazon and they're delivered to your house, mm. um, what you get is important, right? But the matrix is the package they come in. And if it's not packaged properly, you know, it's a, it's a mess when it's delivered or it's not even, you know, in one piece. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that this packaging is really, really important. And I think for me, one of the great turning points for culinary medicine and a whole understanding was about two years ago. I've been doing this a long time and, and the mainstream conventional folks, uh, you know, I, I, I had a lot of colleagues of mine are cardiologists and academics like myself. They said, Mike, you know, I love what you've written. Your dad is great, but dude, I, I can't say this or I'll, I'll get fired. I mean, I can't say it's, you know, you can eat saturated fat. I can't say the, you know, the amount of salt is important. You're crazy. Uh, yeah. I can't say cholesterol in the food doesn't matter, which in, in 2018, the government agreed and took cholesterol out of the recommendations. Well, the data was never there. I wrote about that in Fallacy of the Calorie years before it happened and got feedback like that. And then, you know, finally the government said, look, there's no data that cholesterol levels in the food have any impact in health. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite. So like shrimp is one of the highest uh, cholesterol-containing foods 
you sort of program, but people who eat shrimp all the time, fresh shrimp, seafood, especially indigenous people who uh, eat that as part of their, their diet, where it's, you know, not Long John Silver's deep fried shrimp, you know, it doesn't correlate with eggs. For example, people who regularly eat eggs have a better lipid profile than people who abstain from eating any eggs at all. Wow. And some of the la- latest data shows actually the more eggs you eat, the better your lipid profile. Wow. And so that's the exact opposite of, you know, what the conventional wisdom was, which was never really looked at, but just, but just extrapolated. So yeah, it, it, it it's, it's really kind of crazy that we haven't looked at that. We continue to focus, but about two years ago, there was a Harvard researcher who actually set out to prove that our approach, which is looking at the ultra processing, the way foods package didn't matter, that it was all about the nutrients. That's what this guy was saying, mm-hmm. Professor All. And so he designed the study that was pretty airtight and pretty unique because what he did was he got people to volunteer at his NIH lab and he fed them uh, a, a diet. One was ultra processed food. One was not ultra processed food. They were matched exactly the same amount of calories. Mm-hmm. But even more important, he then matched it for what we call macronutrients. So same amount of saturated fat, same amount of overall fat, same amount of carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah. And what he found was that when people ate ultra-processed food, they spontaneously gained weight and markers of inflammation went up. And when they eliminated that from their diet, they spontaneously lost weight and their markers of inflammation went down. Wow. And he said, you know, when I went into this, and this is a quote from him, that he thought the idea that ultra-processed food or altering that matrix had an effect on health was, quote, ridiculous. And he said, at the end of that, I came to the conclusion that I don't know what food scientists are doing in these corporations, but whatever they're doing is making people fat and sick. Yeah. Well, you can really really see that. I mean... I went through through intermittent fasting. I'm going through intermittent fasting right now and lost a lot of weight, becoming vegan. And, you know, your body, you know, you can really tell the difference after you really start tuning in your body on how your body responds to, you know, I had some broccoli this morning with a little bit of ranch and I, I eat it raw. I I just, you know, I just learned to fuck it. I'm not going to even bother cooking it. I just eat it raw. And, you know, it, it's, and you, you can tell the difference. I mean, I can go to McDonald's and eat a burger and be like, I don't, I don't know what I ate, but it's not, I don't feel full. I don't feel, I feel ucky and icky and ugh. I mean, it's just gross. And so a lot of people really need to get tuned into what those nutrients are. And, and like you say, the processing stuff, like, have you ever seen what <laughs> I saw one time with how they make the meat at Taco Bell? I'll never go back. <laughs> It's a meat, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what's interesting too is, you know, people, when we look at it, another study just came out a couple of months ago called the Aventus Health Study 2. And what they looked at was really interesting. They said it was over 75,000 people. And they said, you know, we're going to look at a plant-based approach and we're going to look at an animal-based approach and we're going to measure mortality, which is, you know, a very hard endpoint, right? Because you're sort of counting bodies at the end of the day. There's no yes, no, maybe, not sure about this sort of thing. You know, th- that's a very hard endpoint. But then they did something really interesting, which they said, well, then we're going to take all those and we're going to account for the ultra-processed food. Uh, because if you were to go to the grocery store 
and kind of look at the six top areas or categories of food that contain the most ultra-processed food, those foods labeled vegetarian are, are among the top six. Almost 90% of what's labeled vegetarian food in the supermarket is ultra-processed food. Mm -hmm. And what they found, interestingly, was it didn't matter if you were plant-based. It didn't matter if you were animal-based. Early mortality, your risk of dying, in other words, specifically correlated how much ultra-processed food you ate. And that wow. was it. Wow. And that's shown in many other studies around the world. But this idea of what we call ultra-processed, it's, it's only been out about a decade. It was actually developed in Brazil. Interesting story because, because of like the Taco Bells and the Coca-Colas. So Brazil, a number of decades ago, uh, started becoming an emerging economy, which means people had money, which meant, you know, our big soda, big food, big snack went down there because people had money. They could buy snacks. They could buy fast food. Mm -hmm. And the, as the story goes, the a representative to the UN from Brazil actually went to the U.S. representative and was like, dude, can you do something about these companies? Because we never had a problem with diabetes and heart attacks and people becoming fat. So all your corporations came down here and started selling, you know, sodas and drive-throughs and this and that. And you're like, dude, you know, it's it's a free economy. Sorry, we don't control the corporations. Mm -hmm. So what the government did and at the University of Sao Paulo is they specifically started looking at this item, you know, this variable of food matrix. And that's how they came up with what's called the NOVA classification. And in the NOVA grouping, there's a specific level called group four. And there's a specific definition for these ultra processed foods. It's been adopted by a number of countries around the world. And what we find continually, wherever you look, is diabetes, obesity, heart disease, early death, and a number of other things all correlate to how much ultra processed food you eat. So that really seems to be a key. And like I said, you know, Harvard professor Kevin Hall really, you know, opened the door with that study that he did a couple of years ago. And, and actually he just got funding a couple of months ago in the tens of million dollars for the NIH. And we're going to complete a study here in the United States, looking at that in 2024. Yeah. People, people got to really understand uh, what's going on with uh, their food and how important it is. And like you say, it can cause cancer and everything else. Do you coach people? Do you work one-on-one -on -one with them or help anyone or do they just need to buy your books and programs? No, no. You know, certainly we we actually are working on developing a, a software platform, you know, so we can work and then train other professionals, teams of, you know, other healthcare professionals, culinary professionals, et cetera, you know, to help people and, and guide them through this. It's it's called the patient's table. Folks who read about that, it's, it's something called IMBAS, I-M-B-A-S, graded mind, body, and spirit. Dot, so mm -hmm. it's not dot com, it's dot health. But they can learn a little bit of, uh, more about that. So we specifically work with their healthcare providers. We work uh, with their employers. We work, you know, through all those uh, types of organizations to help deliver service to folks. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So they can, you know, people can empower themselves. They can take the courses to eat better. I mean, I, your body, one of my problems, and it's not a problem actually, but one of my problems of going vegan and, and eating better, paying attention to what I was putting in my body, I can't go back to stuff. Like I used to drink like 10, 15 Mountain Dews a day. I can't even stand to drink the stuff. I have a Coke every now and then, but it has to be like a Mexican Coke where it's the pure 
original formula. It's cane sugar and, you know, it doesn't have the high fructose. I hate high fructose uh, corn syrup stuff. You know, I can, I can kind of tell on a lot of different things what go, what goes in my body. And, you know, and I cheat every now and then, like I had some onion rings last night. That probably weren't the best thing for me, fried, you know, breaded, but that was it. I didn't have the burger that I didn't have to drink. I just got the onion. I got a place that make really good onion rings. But, you know, the rest of the day, I, I did my vegetables and some of my garden of life powdered meals, my protein shakes and stuff. But yeah, you can, you can really tell what a difference is if you listen to your body. And I think so many people, they don't, they're just like, why do I feel like crap? Or why does my stomach hurt? Or why, why, why don't I feel well? And they just think, well, maybe I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And a lot of times it's with the crap you're putting in your body. Oh, it, it absolutely is, Chris. And it's funny, you know, I got to share what you just said mm -hmm. is what so many people have told me, you know, anecdotally. And what it's akin to, you know, coming from a, a cardiology background is that when I finally get patients to quit smoking <laughs> and, and, and literally, and they, you know, they were smoking two packs a day and then, you know, I would see them in the office and they, they hadn't been smoking for six or eight months. They'll say, they're like, how did I even do that? It's like, I can't even walk into a room where somebody's smoking. How did I smoke, you know, two packs a, a day? I, I can't stand it. You know, my body reacts violently. You know, when I start inhaling just the ambient cigarette smoke, yeah. and it's the same sort of thing. You know, if you're sick all the time, you don't know what feeling good actually is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you, you just kind of go through life comfortably numb. And, yeah. And, and you're never really aware. But then when you realize how good you can feel, it's like, I'm not going, going back to that. Yeah. And what you say also is interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's uh, a professor at Johns Hopkins and one of the foremost leaders in doing gastric surgery for people who suffer with Crohn's disease and, and other inflammatory bowel diseases. And we were at a conference together where we were talking about culinary medicine. I said, you know, Mike, What's really interesting is if you look back in the literature before the 50s, what we're dealing with today in terms of these inflammatory bowel diseases, and what you were saying, Chris, like people just say, my stomach hurts and maybe it's the gluten, maybe it's this, I don't know, but I just don't feel good. He said, there's like none of that. It just, it just really didn't exist. And yet now you see, you know, pharmaceuticals where instead of addressing simply what you're eating, it's this old take a pill for every ill. I mean, diabetes is, type 2 diabetes is an epidemic in this country and many others. But according to Harvard, 90%, 90% of type 2 diabetes can be prevented with all the things you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Diet, culinary medicine. And yet you don't really see that promoted. It's here's another pill. Try this one. You know, take two pills for your diabetes, but keep going through the drive through Keep going through the drive through and and half the time those give you side effects too that make everything worse. And some of the pills they need, and you need another pill to take care of the side effects for the other pill you're taking. And it's that's and, and that's not a joke. Um, yeah. You were you were on really because that really happens. <clears throat> so you give somebody something, it causes a side effect. Um, then you give them another pill for that. Uh, then you're giving them another pill for that. And understand what when we do these studies. To look at pills, right? Their, their safety profile is done in isolation. Mm -hmm. So we have no idea how one pill really interacts with another. So let alone when you have polypharmacy and people are taking five or six medications a day. In one study they did in the UK, 10% of the daily sodium that people 
particularly elder people were taking came from their pills. Jeez. They're, they're always, they always use sodium binders in, in the pills. So we're taking so much medication that 10% of the sodium, you know, came in the form of the binders that are used in medication. Wow. That is crazy, man. It is. It is totally crazy. That is crazy, man. Uh, it's just amazing. So, so to give you a rundown on all your stuff, people can take, there's three different courses they can take the culinary medicine course. And well, there's the culinary medicine course and the course packages and then the overview. So is there just one course or is there two? Yeah, there's just, there's just one course and we're working to bring some of our other courses that we're developing and have at the university. You know, online, but bless you. But right now, they can take that level one course and get that level one certification in culinary medicine. There you go, and that way, no one can argue with you ever again because you're like, I'm not just a chef; <laughs> I'm a culinary medicine. Do I get a doctor's thing if I if I pass that course? Do I get this uh, doctor. We're we're actually working um, with the University of Montana, uh, which is the only university that offers this graduate level course. They teach uh, aspects of culinary medicine in some culinary schools for medical students right now, but we're the only one that offers it. And, and we're working, working with the deans, both in the culinary program and, and in our College of Health to actually get to where people can get a doctorate in culinary medicine. And, and you know, I got to tell you too, we address things like sustainability in culinary medicine, but it all starts with your sustainability. And by that, I mean, as a chef, as a food person, it can't taste like shit. Cause, yeah, that's true. Because who the hell wants to go through life, you know, eating a miserable diet? Because it turns out that when you look at things, like just how happy a person you are. Uh, and this was this is crazy because this sort of goes back to my love of food, maybe maybe a rationalization. But when you look at and just for things like cholesterol, health, diabetes, weight, all the standard stuff, the top group of people who are healthy live almost eight years longer. Than people who are miserable. Oh, wow. And so if you make somebody miserable by taking away the joy of food, are you really helping them live a healthier, you know, longer and, and a life, you know, filled with joy and wellness? Yeah, you know, we did a, a study recently came out showing that putting people on low salt diet did not help with heart failure. Wow. And this was a very big study. No surprise to me because I think it, when you look at salt, 77% of the daily sodium for the average American comes from eating ultra-processed food. Oh, wow. So it doesn't appear to be, when we look at indigenous peoples like the Kuna Indians, who eat three times the level of salt we do, when you look at the Japanese who are amongst the so-called healthiest folks on earth, they eat way more salt than we do, but they don't have the, the issues because they don't eat much ultra-processed food. You know, high sodium intake in the U.S. is a mark of a diet that's high in ultra-processed foods. So yeah. in a lot of ways, that was not a surprise to me. I've been writing about this for about a decade. There's not, there's never been a study done where you address taking dietary sodium out of the diet as the only variable and you see better health. Not one. It's, it's never been, it, it's, and, and, you know, that's just simply a fact. You can look at some studies where you change what people eat, you have a more potassium, they eat more fruits and vegetables, and, and you change their diet, more like a Mediterranean diet, and they do do better. But there's never been a diet where you just look at reducing the sodium, and that's what they've done, and, and people get better outcomes. So we, we end up having to change the foods that, that they eat. And, but, you know, it, that's, it really seems to come back to, 
you know, the ultra processed foods, which doesn't mean that you can't have delicious food because you talked about a burger, right? This it, We're here on a Friday. Every time when I'm home, it's pizza Friday at my house. Uh-huh. Now, my pizza is my homemade dough from sourdough. Oh, wow. Uh, sourdough starter, flour, salt, water, crushed tomatoes and salt, buffalo, grass-finished mozzarella, fresh basil. I'm coming over. Uh, oh, anytime, man. Anytime. And, and that's what we call a group three or a processed food. It has all the things that are great for you, great for all the bacteria in your in your gut. So you don't have to spend mm-hmm. 100 bucks a month on probiotics because you're getting them naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were to order what you were talking, right, that delivery or go to, you know, pizza slot or whatever. And, <laughs> and you know, and that that is one of the, the 10 worst foods you could possibly eat. Oh, yeah. So we live in a world where burgers aren't burgers and pizzas and pizza. And so we got to get a new way of looking at this. And, and that's part of what really what the message of culinary medicine is, is, is stop looking at the way we've been looking at things for half a century because it's got us, you know, bloody nowhere. Yeah, that's true. You know, the one thing I've been paying more attention to is my gut health. And uh, it's amazing how much your gut is everything and how it processes, how it digests, how it uses the food. You know, I've I've gotten really good. In fact, I've I've started using more foods: arugula, pineapple, kiwis. There's all messes, different stuff that I'm using to naturally try and have better gut health. And people don't realize how much important that is. And you know, at 54, my body's sick of everything with me, and so, so I'm trying to. I'm where well, the two of us are just trying to get along at this point. We're just trying to get along. And, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how, how important this stuff is. Let me ask you this. Does, does sodium, is there a different, when, when people are pro- taking, you know, say sodium from freaking McDonald's, is that very really different than, you know, like one of the things they say I should have in my diet is a good sea salt and a good natural sea salt. Is, is there a difference between that sort of processed sodium? Is it a different, I don't know, no, chemical? Fortunately, my, my college degree is in chemistry. So, you got the right person here. Here we so, go. So, no, a sodium molecule is a sodium molecule, whether you get it in a burger from McDonald's or you get it from sea salt. Now, again, this kind of goes back to the high levels of sodium that they use in these ultra-processed foods. So, again, to go back to kind of that, you know, ordering something from Amazon analogy, what what they're doing at McDonald's is they're coming to your door they're stealing your package, then they're taking it out and they're putting their, their own stuff in and repackaging it from the way it came from the, the, the original shipper. And in doing that, they tend to add levels of sodium, sugar, and fat because that is our Achilles heel from an evolutionary perspective. A lot of psychiatrists and people who study addiction behavior point to our need as primates, as social primates, for salt as the origin for all addictive human behavior. Because mm-hmm. as primates, we are omnivores. We, we, we didn't live in a fantasy world where we were, were herbivores all the time and lived in trees and, you know, that, that's all we ate and, you know, jumped down and rode flying unicorns. We were omnivores, which means we ate bugs and whatever meat and things we could find. As an omnivore, unlike carnivores, which get the sodium they need from flesh, we seek out uh, salt. You can see this behavior in, in certain chimpanzees. They'll go to certain trees and they'll eat the the inner bark of that tree because it's very rich in sodium and they know mm. salt. Anybody who's a hunter who's who's been out there hunting knows that if you put a salt lick out in a field, 
you'll get those herbivores to start showing up. And yeah. it's the same sort of thing. And, and so that, that food, this ultra processed food isn't just like me making that pizza and taking natural things and kind of putting them together and cooking them. It's, it's literally tearing it apart and then putting it back. A great book by David Kessler, former head of the FDA, called The End of Overeating in America. I, I love this stuff, as you could tell, but I could tell it was written by a doctor because it was a little dense to get through. It was like study after study. But what David showed, because he went out and he actually interviewed these people who make the foods. And have you ever heard of something called a bliss point? No. Okay, this is how your food is crafted. So when these food manufacturers go to put something together, there is a certain level of sugar, salt, and fat that hits your brain and and actually lights up our dopaminergic reward. Yeah. It's like it's actually the same area of the brains that that we respond to opiates with. Mm. And, and we've done pretty good managing that, I think, as a country. I don't think you could argue about that. And sarcasm. Okay. And, and and what they do is, you know, if you want a potato chip, right? So you expect a certain level of saltiness. And so, you know, the sugar salt ratio in there is very different than a donut. That crispy yeah. I expect that that'd be sweet. And so for different foods, there are different list points. And what we really respond to is the sugar and the salt. Yeah. And the fat is added because by adding layers of fat, you can amp up the levels of sugar and salt that you can deliver to the brain without it being perceived as too salty or, you know, too sweet where you're like, oh, that's too sweet. So you can deliver more and, and, it's this vehicle of sugar, salt, and fat combined with the packaging of ultra processing that really seems to be detrimental at multiple levels. It, it, we have data that it negatively affects the bacteria in our gut that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. It affects our brain in negative ways and addictive ways. Wow. Uh, and obviously it affects our health. Yeah. Uh, ultra processed foods correlate with depression. Wow. So, you know, all these markers of various, you know, aspects of health, whether it's mental health, gut health, cardiovascular health, obesity, it really seems to go back to these creation of these, these artificial foods, which is what wow. all foods are. Yeah, it, they really have, you know, at McDonald's and these other places, these scientists have really sat down and figured out how to basically turn into, like you mentioned, the salt lick in the wilderness where we're just like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, you know, we're, we're like these ultra processed zombies, like burger, burger. burger. Um, yeah. but that's what they want. You know, Morgan Spurlock and that moved me once again, his first supersize me. Yeah. Supersize me. I had to go through the drive through and then he started going every day and he said, you know, after two weeks, it's 11 o'clock and all of a sudden I'm thinking, man, what do I want to order at one o'clock? And so there's all these things that go into reinforcing that behavior. And unfortunately, right, a lot of it is targeted marketing, mm -hmm. uh, which is a whole aspect of this that's, that's like another show. But suffice to say that they want to train you from a young age to have brand loyalty and oh, yeah. crave the, these foods and things like that. That's why they have the playgrounds there. So that you go there as a kid, you know, my mom. You know, she, she took us to McDonald's as a kid. We didn't have playgrounds back then, but you know, you always wanted a Big Mac. You're like, Oh, I want a Big Mac. And, and uh, you know, you had the clown. I mean, when I was growing up, there was the clown, of course, and the, uh, you know, the hamburger and 
Oh, there's a whole host of whatevers. Mayor McCheese. Mayor McCheese. Yeah, there was like, I think there was a, wasn't there a, a dar- mayor or diabetes? But so they all look like they were diabetic. Even the clown, I mean, it's kind of an interesting color. So, you know, it's, they, they all look like they need to be, I don't know, put into rehab, but, <laughs> but I think I'm going to get sued by McDonald's. Now. You're so, you're, you're, you're despairing our trademarks. Anyway, you're despairing our diabetes, but no, you can tell, I mean, I can eat a burger and sometimes they can get a really good burger, but I can tell the bun, the quality of the buns there and maybe highly processed, but yeah, learning to make stuff at home. Like I, I got really good at stuff where. Like I, I would take jackfruit and and make turn it into like uh, it so where it would taste like pulled pork, put barbecue sauce in it, you know, blend it up a little bit and 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 fool your brain, and uh, and then it would taste so good and and so I got really good at 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 the taste aspect of making vegan foods, and the taste is really what your brain's after. So your brain's like, hey, this really tastes really great. I don't really care that this is broccoli. <laughs> No, yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's about the taste. It's about the pleasure. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning, you asked me, you know, what is culinary medicine about? I said, it's about your relationship with food and right. Relationships are built on experiences. And so each of those experiences of what you eat, with whom you eat, when you eat, where you eat, when they're positive and, you know, and the taste brings you pleasure and the experience brings you pleasure. Naturally, we're programmed as social primates to want to repeat that behavior. And so just as we could get into negative sorts of loops where we're going through the drive-thru every day and never even realizing it, we could build those positive ones yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah. But that's it makes all the difference. It's about. It's, it's about empowering people, giving them the tools and the resources they need. Because ultimately, right, Chris, Chris's diet is about Chris. It's about yeah. what you want to eat and how it makes you feel, whether you're happy. And so that's why there really can never be this one size fits all. And this idea of sort of eat this, don't eat that, it just doesn't work. Yeah. The 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 interesting thing is I used to live, I used to eat crap food all the time. Of course, drink a lot yeah, of Mountain Dew and a little bit of vodka here and there, half a bottle or two. And, you know, I would live on with Rolates. I would live with. <laughs> eating rollouts. I keep, I keep like a bottle by the bed because I would wake up in the middle of the night going, I need more rollouts. And, you know, I mean, sometimes you go through two or three stops, the rollouts thing, you know, and, and that was an indication that this crap I was eating wasn't healthy for me. And my body was just basically saying, Hey, big F you, man, knock it off. Eh? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, when, we're, when I was 20, you know, something and, you know, doing all that, with my residency, you know, we're young and our bodies are strong and we kind of power through stuff. But, you know, ultimately the bill comes due as, as I found out. But I think the good news is, and I think you'd agree, right? It's it's never too late to, to change. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, you know, in some ways I feel so much better now than I did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, you know, obviously, you know, much older and, you know, aging happens, whether you like it or not. And But, you know, I, I think that you can also, you know, start to just maybe slow down a little bit and, and really start to ex- experience food because part of what we do in this culture is we not only eat crap, but we don't even think about the crap we're eating. So there's a mindlessness, you know, that surrounds that, that really feeds into the 
the ultra processed foods, you know, you kind of crave it. You don't, you're not even thinking and you're grabbing that mountain. Then later you just pop it some, like I said, pop it some Rolaids or swigging some Pepto-Bismol and then on you go to the next, you know, task in front of the computer or whatever we got to do on our cell phone. So there's something to be said for kind of slowing down and actually eating our meal. And, yeah. and there's a lot of research on quite a bit of it done at Harvard, actually, that shows that even just having a family meal, it does have to be every night of the week, but even just once or so, which tends to be more home cooked foods with kids serves them later in life so that when they're adults, they're making better food decisions. They have better health, uh, better metabolic profiles. So that sort of social aspect of maybe cooking with your kids or having a family meal, that also has huge benefits. So it's this, it's this whole, you know, kind of food experience. And, and that just takes us beyond counting calories and looking at the nutrients on a food label. Yeah. In fact, one of my recent gut health aspects that I've been focusing on is chewing, making yeah. sure I chew up my food. I'm really bad at sitting down in front of my computer and like eating stuff. And sometimes I'll get caught in my esophagus because I haven't chewed it enough. And, you know, I was, I was reading and learning that, you know, you've got, I've been, I've been taking more apple cider vinegar because I, I really focused in on like, okay, so there's my stomach, there's the pancreas, there's something else that processes food, you know, insulin and the whole, the whole works, you know, and if you don't, if you're, if you're not making sure you've got that good stomach st acid going that can chew everything up. Then it's got to go to the intestines and then they're pissed off. And then, you know, just everybody hates you, which is pretty much the sum total of my body these days. But, you know, we're working on it. We're getting better and stuff and, and focusing on it. Uh, as we go out, is there anything more we need to talk about, about what you do and how you do it so people can be aware of it? No, I just encourage folks to head on over to the website, www.chefdrmike.com. I'm not rich and famous, so I have to answer all my own social media. It may take me a day or three to get to you, but I'd love to hear from folks. Drop a line with your questions, concerns. And, 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 and you know, I, I love the dialogue. So if you, a lot of people say, hey, Chef Dr. Mike, I think that's a load of BS. What you said, do you have the, the data to back it? You know, my, I'm very transparent. You read the blogs, all the, the data is there. So you can read it yourself and, and draw your own conclusions. You know, I'm just here to, to kind of share the information. And as we talk, Chris, that, you know, help people empower themselves, you know, for, for health and, and wellness. And, you know, I, I think you'd agree, right? When, when your body feels good, you tend to feel good, yeah. which means you're a little bit more of a joyful per person. Yeah. And, you know, the world is pretty angry right now. And so yeah. like, each of us could be a little happier and, and, and spread a little bit that more of that karma around, you know, who knows the world might actually be a decent place. I mean, all I know is around here, there was less murdering after I started eating better. So <laughs> that, that was good, especially since the judge says I can't do it anymore. You've got uh, four books people should definitely check out an Amazon bestseller, Food Shaman, Shaman, Food Shaming, <laughs> that too. Food shaman, the art. Of the shaman. <laughs> you can squeeze the you can squeeze the shaman. Squeeze the shaman. There you go. <laughs> food shaman. Don't eat the shaman, but uh, food shaman. The shaman. The shaman. <laughs> You're killing me, man. I'm trying to read this, and it's going all up. Food shaman. Amazon bestseller, by the way. Ancient eats the Greeks and Vikings. You can read about that. The fallacy of the calorie. I'm really interested in this book. Why the Modern Western Diet is Killing Us, How to Stop It, Eating Well and Living Better, 
the Grassroots Gourmet Guide to uh, Good Health and Great Food. And we've had Dr. Fung on a few times. Do you know him? Yeah, the renal doctor, correct? Yeah, yeah. He's the guy that really got me into intermittent fasting and Cray Ray and and was uh, the guy from Who's the Vegas Show? I can't place it. It's Friday. The rain's completely yeah. gone for this week. Penn and Teller. It was Pendulette. His book, what was it? I can't remember. But he, he, I lost 100 pounds when I basically started following this thing. But yeah, just learning how important food is and, you know, eating a good apple. I mean, look at you cover your fallacy of calorie book. And I think, what is that? Is that a baked potato or a cupcake on the front? No, so you got, I think that one's got the apple. And then on the yeah. scale, is it's natural. It. It's, 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 it's sort of Chef Dr. Mike's egg McMuffin, which is something that's oh. really good for you. Right. It's my homemade sourdough English muffin. Okay. It is a piece of prosciutto, which is nothing but pork and salt. None of these additives, not ultra processing. Some real uh, cheese, which has again been shown, oh. which is a naturally fermented product. So it's basically a probiotic. Mm. Uh, and you put those together and you've got, you know, a egg McMuffin with, with a free range organic egg that's as good for you as an apple. I can see, I can see the blow up of that. So it looks really good there. So uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show, Dr. Mike. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. It's been wonderful. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Thanks, And I had a happy piece of Friday to you. There you go. And we've got your dot com, right? Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Guys, go check it out. Live healthier, eat healthier. Uh, maybe it should go the other way. Eat healthier, live healthier. There you go. Do both. There you go. And all that good stuff. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends and neighbors well to subscribe to the show at iTunes.com. Uh, you can go to YouTube.com forward slash Chris Foss, Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Foss, uh, all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn. See the big LinkedIn newsletter and the big LinkedIn group that we have over there as well. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.